0: Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Today as Pastor Jason continues in chapter 8 of Acts, he looks at Simon the Sorcerer and his misunderstanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's join Jason now in his message entitled, Sad Simon. Here's Jason.
1: Please turn to the book of Acts chapter 8. As we again tread upon the road that we looked at last week. Last week we saw the salvation of the Samaritans. Today we are going to look at this man Simon. And as we turn there, I, I would like to frame our thoughts By way of a question. And that question is, have you ever known someone, or possibly still do, who you consider to be sad? Truly sad. And, and when I say sad, it's not so much because of their disposition. It's not so much because of their personality. Or even the way that they carry themselves, as in, I'm, I'm picturing Eeyore. No, no that, that, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I, I mean that they are in a sad spot. That they are in a sad situation because they do not recognize how good they could have it. But instead they keep choosing the wrong thing. Or really the wrong person. I can think of no sadder person that I have met my entire life than Sabien. Sabien who, who lived with us, I, I, I call him my friend. He lived with us in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. And as we moved there, the villagers themselves warned us about Sabian. The the missionaries that, that were already living there warned us about Sabian. They said, Jason, keep an eye on this guy. He has a temper. He's not a good man. He's not a good Siawi. In fact, Jason, you see this house you're living in? He came here. And he shot arrows through this house trying to shoot and kill Ron. Be careful of him. Well, I I guess I didn't listen very well because he became my main language helper. And we became seriously good friends. And, And he taught me much of the Siawi language, much of the Siawi culture. And even as I began to write up the Bible lessons, I was using him. And yet, even though the Spirit was convicting him through God's Word, Sabian was known in our, in that village in Papua New Guinea as the sorcerer, as as the witch doctor, as the man that does voodoo. And all the years that we spent in Siawi, he could never give up that position, that status as sorcerer, or his love of power. And the way that he wielded it. And I have a very vivid memory of the last time that I saw Sabian. As he came to me and told me that he had given back the Bible that was given to him. The reason why he gave back that Bible, he told me he did not want God's Word probing into his life. He said, perhaps I will go back to the elders at some point, Jason, and get the Bible back. And I will let you know that up to this point, I have never heard that Sabian repented. He is still an enemy of the cross, an enemy of Christ. Today, we're we're going to be looking at at someone who I believe is sad. You know, I I, I believe I, I could have titled this sermon... Simon the sorcerer I could have entitled it a 100 different ways but, but I entitled it sad Simon because I believe that no matter what he knew he was in a sad spot and and we're going to see that from God's word today in a in a very descriptive way actually over and over again we're going to see that so turn with me to to acts chapter 8 Verses 9 to 25, this time from the perspective of this Simon, this man named Simon. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit." But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help. It is so easy for us to be deceived, for us to not know what is truth and what is a lie. We pray that you would use your word this morning to guide us into all truth, that your wonderful Holy Spirit would make your word clear as we look at the life of Simon and that you would give us a heart for those like Simon in Jesus name amen so what we are going to see today is four misunderstandings that simon has which in the end make him so sad so incredibly sad first what we're going to see is his understanding of man that he is wrong about man mankind And we'll see that right away in verses 9 to 11. Then we're going to see that Simon is wrong about salvation itself in verses 12 to 13. Then we're going to see that he is wrong about the Holy Spirit in verses 14 to 19. And then finally, we will see that he is wrong about repentance. Wrong about so many things. And yet appearing like he's okay and that he's all good. And that he is indeed a follower of Jesus Christ. But he is not. For what we see first in Simon is this. That he is wrong about man. He is wrong about his understanding of man. And that's seen in his understanding of himself. Look at verses 9 and 10. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria. We saw that last week. Claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. So what's so wrong with Simon's view? His his wrong view is that he believes that he is what? Someone great. Now we know that... It's okay for someone else to give someone accolades. For someone else to say, oh, man, that, that, that guy is so smart. Or, or he could be possibly the best NFL player, the best NBA player. But when somebody actually says that about themselves, we, we kind of take a step back and go, huh? That seems a little proud and, and arrogant. And yet, that is exactly what Simon is doing. He is saying, not, not only does he believe he's good, he actually believes he is great. And yet, Scripture teaches that there is no one who is great, there is no one who is good except one, and that is God. We, we see this over and over again in Scripture. And yet, today, what we hear from most people is, oh, wait, what do you mean, Pastor Jason? You actually believe that, that, that people are inherently evil? And bad and wrong and sinful? No, no, no. People are, they've got good in them. It just needs to come out. Oh yes, I understand why Sabien is the way that he is, because he was raised in this crazy environment of sorcery and witchcraft, and, and so he had no other way to go. And I would say no. Okay, that did help. <laughs> Encourage Sabian to go further and further and further into this deep sorcery and witchcraft. But Sabian's heart from the beginning was sinful. He had no other course, no other action that he could take except for to go the way of sin. Why? Because it all goes back to Adam. And so what do you think? Someone who is like Simon, who looks at themselves as great, do they see a need for a Savior? Does Simon see a need for a Savior? No. Why? Because he's stuck on self. He believes that he's great, so why would he need a Savior? And in fact, if if we were to look at some of the church historians, such as Justin Martyr, we would find out that actually, Simon even more than thinking he was great, he actually believed he was God, and he said that he was God. Even more than that, Justin Martyr, who, who was from Samaria... Who lived a hundred years after Simon. It said that Simon even claimed to be the Messiah. And after losing his such great big following in Samaria that we're looking at now. Do you know what he does? He no longer has a big crowd. So so he takes off and he goes to Rome. And there he gets a great big following. And he continues to teach. And do you know what his teaching becomes? It becomes something known as Gnosticism. Which is the teaching that, that everything in the physical realm is bad, evil, wrong. And inherently evil. And the spiritual realm is good. And salvation it can only be attained by gaining this higher and secret knowledge. And do you know who holds the higher and secret knowledge? Well, a guy like Simon. And so that's where you learn this from. And Jesus Christ, well, he wasn't really God. He he actually was just a man until the baptism of John. And when the Holy Spirit, then he becomes God. But then he actually stops being God once he gets to the crucifixion. Because there's no way that God would allow his body to go through that physical pain and torture. Because remember, the physical is, is bad, is evil, is wrong. No, that's heresy. And that creeps into the church. And that's what becomes of, of this man, Simon according to many church historians. Why? Because it's steeped on this misunderstanding that He is indeed not only good, but He is great. No, there is no one great. There is no one good except for God. But that isn't the only thing He's wrong about. Look at verses 12 and 13, and here we see that He is wrong about salvation. How to acquire salvation. But when they believed, speaking of the Samaritans that we looked at last week, Philip's preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Verse 13, how it starts off with this word, even. In the Greek, that that word even can have all sorts of nuances of understanding. One one of the nuances is is that it can delineate something as being special and unexpected. Something different than what was just presented. And I believe it's pointing back to, to the true believing. Samaritans in verse 12. And now it's saying, no, Simon is something different. And as I said last week, yes, the the word to believe is pisteuo. It's the normal Greek word when somebody believes and trusts in Christ. But what we don't see here is it attached to anything. We don't see the object of his faith. What is he actually believing in? And he could have been believing in a whole bunch of different things, especially being a sorcerer. That's the way that animists think. All they want to do is add that belief onto one more thing. Sure, I believe in these 50 spirits. That's the way the Siawis were. They believed in hundreds of spirits that were in almost every tree. They were in every fruit. And they would do whatever they could in order to appease them. How do we know that that isn't what Simon is actually looking at? Okay, that's one more thing I believe in um, among numerous other things. It doesn't tell us that. And we know that you can actually believe that Jesus is God and still not be saved. Right? We know that because of the demons. They recognized Jesus as God, but none of them were saved. They weren't placing their faith in Christ unto salvation as their Messiah. And James 2.19 tells us that. So I believe what's being depicted here is just intellectual assent. Sure, I'll believe whatever you tell me in order for me to get what I want, which we're going to see exactly what Simon wants. And so he believes and is baptized. And again, everything looks great. But then we see this word. He continued on with Philip. That just sounds like, oh, that's just normal, right? That's what you do once you become saved. He's now your discipler. You follow him around. He's your mentor. He's telling you about the things of the Lord. He's taking you to the word. He's growing you. No, that that isn't what this word means. It means to stick close by, to be close at hand, to attach yourself to someone. Not with the idea of gaining anything, but an understanding of the power that was being displayed. What's in even more contrast is where this word continued is used and translated differently in Acts. We've already seen it many times in Acts 114 and Acts 242 and Two forty six and six four, in those cases where we saw when the new believers were gathering together, what did they do? They devoted themselves to what? to prayer, to the word, to communion. that's this word. Here's translated continued, but you could have translated as devoted himself to Philip. This is odd, this is out of place. Here he should be attaching himself, devoting himself to the Word of God. Instead, he's attaching himself to Philip. And he wants to follow him around like some sort of puppy dog. Why? Because he wants to grab everything that he can from him concerning the power that is being displayed in him. And we see this as it says, as he observed these signs and great miracles, what was his response? He was constantly amazed. This reminds me of of Pharaoh before Moses. You remember, right? All the plagues that happen. Sometimes, Pharaoh's magicians could do the very same thing that Moses was doing. But what they couldn't do was stop it. With the frogs. Okay, yeah, you do frogs, I can do frogs. Oh wait, <laughs> can we stop doing frogs? No! So what happens? Pharaoh says, okay Moses, you pray to the Lord to stop this, and then you guys can go. Well, that happens. They burn all the frogs. They're all dead. And then Pharaoh says, okay, no. And and why is that? Because his heart was hardened. and it, It continued to be hardened, even with the flies. Continued and continued and continued. Even though he was watching God work. Even though he might have been constantly amazed at what Moses was doing. That doesn't mean that he was trusting in the God of Israel through Moses. In fact, it was accomplishing the complete opposite. So what do we see here? We see that that Simon's magical worldview had not changed one bit. A more thorough renunciation, a turning, a repentance of his former beliefs and practices away from this towards Christ was needed, was necessary, but we'll never see that. Because not only was he wrong about man, not only was he wrong about salvation, thinking that he could just make it look like he was believing and believe in whatever he wanted. No, he had to believe on God's terms. But he was also wrong about this. He was wrong about the Holy Spirit. Incredibly wrong about the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 14-19. to Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the... The word of God. They sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. That's as far as we got last week. But look what happens next. Now. So it gives us a time frame as to when this is happening. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Notice he knows the terminology. He knows what, what he's called, but he doesn't even call him a hymn. Notice also, too, it doesn't say anywhere that he received the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Why? Because he's not saved. He's a counterfeit among the true believers. He's just going through the motions. Perhaps there's some like that this morning. You're coming to God on your terms. Maybe the reason why you're here is you want this new house. Perhaps you oh you you want to get married. And and that's why you're coming. Because you have this checklist of what God will do for you if you do this for God. And and that's what Simon was doing. He's coming to God with his own understanding of what God should do for him. And yet we notice some things in here. We see first that Simon actually saw the Holy Spirit bestowed, given to these believers. This, This is the word that you would normally use over and over again in the New Testament to see something with your eyes to physically look at something so somehow Simon did see the spirit coming upon these people we don't know if it's m- matching what happened in earlier in acts with pentecost that perhaps they started speaking in tongues it doesn't say doesn't say that something like a little magical or fiery looking tongue thing came and rested upon all of them but whatever happened he looks at them and he says oh yes something is happening this power is cool this power is great this power is greater than anything that i've had before and just think how people would respond to me if i had this power and so as a result he says give this authority to me he's commanding them to give him this power and notice the scope of who he wants to give this to. He doesn't understand this is a gift. This is a helper that Jesus promised to his believers. He says, no, I want to give it to everyone that I lay my hands on. As, as if it's you know newspapers, it can be thrown out to everybody. No, th- this isn't a thing. This isn't some power. This is a person. Basically, what Simon is wanting here, he's wanting to be in charge of the Holy Spirit. He, in essence, looked at the Holy Spirit as a power to be wielded, not as a person who would rule his life. And I believe that Simon is like so many believers today who say they want more of the Holy Spirit. Please give me more of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you can't get any more of the Holy Spirit than you already have. What you should be praying isn't that you would get more of the Holy Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit would get more of you. And that you would listen to Him. That you would follow His prodding. His conviction. His leading. His guiding. We don't see any of that with Simon. What does he want? He just wants another tool in, the, in his tool bag that he can then add to all the other sorcery things that he was doing. And that's how he's looking at the Holy Spirit. But again, the, the Holy Spirit isn't some tool to be wielded. The Holy Spirit is God Himself. Given to believers. As a seal. As a blessing. Peter, of course. He doesn't respond too favorably to this, does he? <laughs> and it reveals to us that the final thing which perhaps is the most important thing that he is wrong about. And that is, he's wrong about repentance and what repentance looks like. Look at verse 20. In Peter's response, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. I'm not sure that Peter could actually say this more Strongly than he did. This, this word, perish, is literally the, the word to have destruction that somebody experiences, annihilation, both complete but still in a process. It's not this idea of annihilationism where at one point of time you die. And, and it's a terrible death, and it's a torturous death, and it's a destruction, no, it's, it's the idea that you are in a destruction process for all of eternity. It's the same word used in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not what? Perish. Same word. Same word, same word Jesus uses in John 7.13 where He says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to what? To destruction. That is what Peter is trying to urge Simon against. Some commentators believe that an accurate translation of this would be to hell with you and your money. As in a curse in in, in Papua New Guinea, that the people actually would curse people's gardens in order to mess up their gardens. This is literally... Peter telling Simon, if you keep going like this, you know where you're going to end? In, in fact, you need to understand the significance of what you've even asked. This is only going to lead one way. If you continue on with this worldview, that you can wield the Holy Spirit, that you can actually buy Him. Now maybe you're like me and you, and you think, whoa, Peter, that, that seems a little strong. Perhaps, perhaps he's just a new believer and he doesn't understand yet. Why don't you guide him into truth instead of beating him with truth? And, and I believe the next verse gives us more of a depiction of where this man Simon's at. Look at verse 21. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. You have no portion. You have no share in this. Why? Because your heart, the control center of your whole being, your physical, mental, spiritual part of who you are, is not right before God. Not in a proper, upright, straight, or even true relationship with God. This statement makes it clear that Simon's faith was superficial, that his baptism was nothing more than a public bath, But what is Simon's problem? What is getting in the way here? And I believe his problem is the same problem that many of you and I struggle with. It's pride. Notice how Peter says that the problem resides where? It resides within his heart. And that's where pride settles. It's something that you can't see right away with your eyes, right? Because it can appear like everything that that person is doing is very humble, it's very godlike, it's very Christian ease. And yet the reality, in that person's heart, he is prideful, he is arrogant. He looks good on the outside, but on the inside, he's all about himself. Pride is a killer of many, keeping many from the kingdom of the Lord and trusting in Christ. It goes all the way back to the garden, even before that, right? With Satan? Why did Satan rebel? Because he wanted to be like the Most High. Why did Adam listen? Why did Eve listen? Because they wanted to be like God. Why were the Pharisees not willing to listen to Christ? Because they were all about themselves. And their homemade religion. And yet, even in all of this, look at God's grace in verses 22-23. to 23. Peter is still concerned for Simon's soul and gives him an opportunity. Verses 22 and 23. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Simon, like all sinners, is given the key to getting his heart right with God. And that is through repentance. Turning from our sin and trusting in Christ for salvation. And yet we see this depiction of Simon in the state that he's in, and it's not a good state. It says that he's in the gall of bitterness. Gaul is this bitter poison. He's been poisoned by what? By sin. He's bitter. What is he bitter over? He wants to have the power that they have. So he's greedy, really. And then what's the final depiction? He's in the bondage of iniquity. He's shackled by sin. He's, he's chained to sin. Or sin has him chained. And there's no possible way for him to get out of that without repenting. And yet, look at his response. He misses it all together. He has no idea what repentance looks like. For he says this, But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Did you get it? Peter tells him to do two things. I want you to pray and I want you to repent. When, when they respond to him, or when he responds to them, he doesn't even talk about repentance. And instead of saying, okay, I will pray, he says, well, you pray for me. It, it sounds real spiritual. It sounds real humble. But it's completely disobedient to what Peter had just told him to do. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what repentance looks like. And yet at the same time, did you catch that he is remorseful? He is, after all, sad Simon. He, he is indeed sad. And what's he sad about? Well, I think he grabbed enough of what Peter's talking about with the destruction of his soul that he understands, man, that doesn't look good for me. So he's sad about the condition that he was in. And he even wanted to escape the consequences that Peter had laid out for him, but that is not the same as repentance. Repentance involves a radical reversal. You were going this way and now you go the other way. Where where is Simon's repentance? Where, Where is Simon's love of righteousness and hatred of sin? Which is such a characteristic of a believer. I tell you it's not there because he's not a believer. Calvin in his Institutes, he says this about repentance. Repentance is the true turning of our life to God. A turning that arises from a pure and earnest fear of Him. And it consists in the mortification of our flesh and of the old man and in the vivification of the Spirit. When the Bible speaks about repentance, it's talking about a radical reversal. Taking us from where we were to where God wants us, following Him. Not in some sort of perfect way. By no means. You continue to repent long after you're saved. I think it's best pictured in 2 Corinthians 7.10 which says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What we see in Simon is worldly sorrow. It's it's not repentance to, to say that you're sorry about the condition that you're in. Being sorry is, is not the same as repentance. Repentance involves a, a turning, an about face. That's what the word means, the, the metanoia in, in the Greek. It's you're going this way and now you agree with God and you actually go the other way. And how does... Verse 25 fit into all of this. Well, I believe it gives us a picture of what repentance does look like in the life of a believer. Let me close with this. As we have seen clearly what it looks like to not be a believer, to have all these misunderstandings about man, about salvation, about the Holy Spirit, and even about repentance. But now look at verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So after they finished their apostolic mission, what they came there to do, they then stay and they give them the word of God and they preach the word of God and they teach the word of God to strengthen them. And then they leave and head to Jerusalem, but they don't go directly to Jerusalem. Did you catch that? They actually stop at each of the cities, the Samaritan cities on the way. And they give them the gospel. And that may not seem significant to you and I unless we understand Luke chapter 9 and John and what he says in Luke chapter 9. This is amazing. They are going from town to town and they're going through Samaria. And in this particular village, the Samaritan village, they will not be hospitable to Jesus. So you know what John says? He's prepared. He's wanting to call down fire upon that particular village and wipe them out. Just because they wouldn't let Jesus sleep in one of their homes. And now what do we see? Now we see Him preaching the good news. Stopping in His normal schedule. Getting away from the, the body that he was preaching and teaching in Jerusalem. Loving on them and saying, no, you know what? I care about the Samaritans. I want to reach them. So he gives them the good news. And gives us a true picture of what repentance looks like. He was over here. Hating the Samaritans. Actually wanted to call fire down upon them. And now, where is he? He's loving on them, giving them the gospel. Let me close with two points to ponder. Consider how Simon was a follower of Christ whose faith was misdirected. He was more concerned about what he could get from Christ than what Christ had actually done for him. How might your faith be like Simon's? Number two, consider how Simon was given a chance to repent even after he desired to buy the Holy Spirit. God's grace knows no bounds, does it not? Pray for someone this week who you know needs to repent and come to Christ but still hasn't. Let me close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for giving us a clear depiction on what counterfeit faith looks like. On what a counterfeit believer looks like. Coming to God on his own terms Wanting God to accomplish exactly what He wants instead of coming to you on your terms with open hands recognizing how needful we are for a Savior and so thankful for what Jesus did on our behalf. Continue to write your word upon our hearts that we would be loving and kind and reach out to the Simons of this world and that we wouldn't act like Simon, but that we would act more like Philip and the uh, apostles. We would walk in the newness of truth and the newness of life that we have in you. In Jesus' name.
0: Hey, thanks for being with us today. O-R-G. That's www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.